Don't worry, I'm not going to sing. Thank you, Bridget, for letting me say a few words. Um, uh, just wanted to get up here real briefly. Um, wanted to thank so many people, especially this church family. It means so much to me. Um, my name's David Beasley, for those that, you, that, don't, that don't know. Many of you have probably known me most of my life. Others might have known me for a few years. Um, I grew up in this church, and uh, my parents walked into the old church over here across the road, 1962, we moved from Louisville, Kentucky. First people they met were the Damianos and the Kings, some stalwarts that I guess families that have been here for so many years. A few of them have passed, but um, the first church home that they came to when we visited, when we, met, when we moved to Sandy Springs. So from the time, 1962, when I was two years old, this was my church home. Um, it's been a very special place to me. Um, I can remember when this church was built and this, this was all open area. I can remember being baptized right up here back in, I think, 1970. Probably the last one out of a group of eight, which ended up including a couple preachers, including our preacher, a couple guys that are now ministers of music. So when they got to me, a lot of the holy water had left the, left the, the pool up here. So, so that explains some of my stalwart years, I guess. But, uh, but, um, but really, this church has meant so much to me. There's so many people here that have been, meant so much to who I am and, and uh, who I've become in so many ways. Um, uh, uh, talking to, to David, I know when he first came here, uh, the first thing he preached on was prayer. And uh, I had not been active in church for, for many years. And when David came back, it gave me an opportunity to come not only visit one of my best friends, uh, David, as well as four or five of the friends that I grew up with when I was two years old, to this day are still my best friends and would do anything for me as I would them. But um, David started when he first came talking about prayer. And I did not pray that. I was, even to stand up here right now, I'm a, I'm a nervous wreck, but uh, I did not, I, I could pray, but I didn't know how to pray. And David, through his messages when he first got here, it, it made me more comfortable praying. And I uh, got to the point where I was praying on a daily, daily, uh, uh, every morning. Um, I believe so many divine things have happened in my life over the last several years, including the fact that David and uh, Jeannie came to our church, which got me back involved in church. This last year has been a very uh, tough year for me and my wife and our family. Uh, uh, last Friday, a year ago, my son took his own life. and. Uh, it's been a really tragic year, a really tough year. Uh, taking a step each day, thinking about him every hour of every every day. Um, and I, I refer back to being, being learning how to pray, which has meant so much to me. Um, every day, every hour is a struggle. Every step's uh, very tough to do. But I, I, church, this church, members of this church, I just wanted to say thank you. Um, your prayers have meant more to me and my family than you can ever know. It has provided strength for us to take those steps every day. And I'm just so grateful that I came to this point with this group of people, my church family. And I, I tell people, people ask me all the time, how do you do it? And that kind of thing. And, uh, it's, it's basically faith, family, and friends. And I consider you not only my family, but also my friends. And I'm just greatly appreciative. And I just want to say thank you very much uh, on behalf of my family for what all y'all meant to us to help us help us make it through this struggle. Thank you.
You're not going to remember a thing David Shivers says today, are you? But you're going to remember what David Beach said. Hard to switch gears to where we're going. Um, anybody in here play? David Beasley and I played ping pong as kids. Did you play ping pong as a child? Anybody have a ping pong table at the house? Several of you do. If we got a ping pong table and put it right here, right here on the stage, and we got a couple to come play, let's name them. Oh, Harry and Betty. And we have Harry and Betty come and play ping pong. Harry, who would win in a ping pong game between you and Betty, would you think? Oh, Betty. <laughs> well, you just blew my headline because let's pretend that Harry wins. And we have a church newspaper. And we put this on the headline of the church newspaper. <laughs> Harry beats Betty. Now in context, you understand, right? They played ping pong, Harry won, Harry beats Betty. What if we put this on the headline? <laughs> Harry beats Betty with paddle. Yes, in context, you understand. Maybe we put something in there like this. Harry beats Betty in church. In context, with ping pong, right here, this all makes perfect sense, doesn't it? But what happens when you leave this place and you take this out of context? Could there be trouble? Absolutely. Our culture loves to talk. And they love to talk about dirty laundry and supermarkets. In the, sometimes I'm glad there's a line so I can read what it says about the aliens and the last Elvis sighting and all of the things. Empires are built on gossip. And today we're going to talk kind of about gossip, but really more about the opportunity we have to use good words. Before we go further, let's pray once more. Lord, bless our words. Let us be careful. Let us be deliberate. Let us be positive. Let us be light in a dark world. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to begin talking about words in the book of James. James chapter 3, the first verse says this. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers of the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. Well, everyone in the church that's a teacher understands the responsibility. This is a warning. This is a big deal. Because what's a teacher have? A teacher has a group of people. And they use words to influence that group of people. And if you're not careful with your words, and you tell a group of people that Harry beat Betty, and you mess up the context, well, there's a lot of trouble and it. it's a big deal. So verse 1 is a warning. Verse 2 continues with the warning in James 3. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we'd be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. 
there's a big shadow over verse 2 is it there because we can't. We're not perfect in every other way. And sometimes we have trouble controlling our tongues and our words. Let's read further, beginning at verse 3 through verse 12 of James 3. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit of its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. Even in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. And so now we really see the big deal. It is spelled out here from verses 3 to 12 that our words can really, really cause big trouble. And we have to choose the side. If we're going to be a Christ follower, we're going to have to be careful to use good words and not the bad. If I were to ask you the question, how many of you in this room have gotten in trouble with your words? Would we all be in the same boat? Yeah, we would. This isn't about gossip, but it's about the, the choice of poor words. <coughs> Jeannie and I have been married 34 years now, and I've learned better how to use my words. But when we were first married, I was not trained in the proper use of words. <laughs> my brain would not think before my mouth sprang into action. She went and got a haircut. And she went from long hair to short hair. I was not consulted of the situation. I'm trying to defend myself. I have no defense of what I said. She came into the house and I looked at my wife and I said, and honey, I'm, it's been 34 years. I'm so sorry. I said, honest, you look like a boy. <laughs> that came out of my mouth. Not the smartest words that have ever come from my mouth. After an extended stay in the hospital, I learned not to say anything like that again. Back to gossip. I've heard the question, is it gossip? If it's true. You ever thought that? Wondered that? Talked about that? If it's true, is it gospel? If Harry beat Betty and beat her with a paddle and beat her in church, and I go and tell people that, and it's true, is it gospel? Here's an example. 
Let's say I have a friend named Luke. Luke tells me he and his wife are getting a divorce because she found someone else. And later I see a mutual friend of mine and Luke's. And I go to him and I say, hey, I, I just want you to go and, and, and see Luke. He needs a friend right now. And it'd be a good idea for you to pray for him. Did I gossip? No. What I did was very appropriate without filling any blanks. I did nothing wrong here. But just as easily, I could have seen the same mutual friend and say, I've got some news for you. You're not going to believe that. And then tell the story. And what have I just done? I've told the truth, but I've gossiped. Here's a great definition of gossip. This is my favorite one. When we're talking about a situation with somebody who is neither part of the problem are part of the solution, then we're probably gossip. You mean read it again? When we're talking about a situation with somebody who's neither part of the problem or part of the solution, then we're probably gossip. Sometimes we just say things and tell stories we shouldn't say and we shouldn't tell. Proverbs 10, 19 shed lights on that. Look at this. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Some people just talk too much. The New Living Translation puts Proverbs 10, 19 this way. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Ever wish you'd followed the words of Proverbs 10, 19? The Greek philosopher Publicus said this, he said, I've often regretted my speech, never my silence. I like that. Proverbs 21, 23. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. Proverbs 29, 20. There is more hope for a fool than for someone who speaks without thinking. There's the key. Thinking. We have to be careful that all our words are proper and for building up and never tearing down. Before James spoke about the tongue in chapter 3, he said this in chapter 1, verse 26. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Sermons come from all sorts of different places and don't worry, I'm not talking about you. I didn't hear anybody say anything. I've not heard any kind of a gossip going around. I was in a restaurant by myself the other day, sitting next to a table with two loud talkers. Have you ever sat next to loud talkers? And they were letting somebody have it over the coals really, really good. And they were just yak, yak, yak about somebody. And that's where this came from. But all the news about the tongue is not bad. There are good things we can do. We can praise God. We can bless others. We can comfort. We can teach. We can pray. We can share. We just have to be very, very careful. Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, beginning verse 36. And I tell you this, you must give an account on Judgment Day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you 
or condemn you. Makes me want to take a vow of silence. How about you? Every word. Every word. So let me give you some scripture to encourage you. Proverbs 8, 8 is a great goal. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. That's a wonderful, attainable goal. Proverbs 16, 24. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and health for the body. <coughs> That's true for young and old, isn't it? If you've ever spent much time with a school teacher, school teachers have an insight into what kinds of words are used at home by the parents when they get the child in class. And school teachers can tell what the parents think of the child by what the child says in class. I had a school teacher tell me one time that a child told them, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm stupid, I'm, I'm, I'm not smart. The teacher said, who told you that? My daddy. My mommy. And sadly, those stories are common. And it is just as easy for a parent to build up a child. And it is just as easy for you and for me to build up the world around us and not tear it apart. Proverbs 25, 11 paints the prettiest picture. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. I love the picture. And our words are so powerful and they can be if they are fitly spoken, beautiful things. With words, I can build my marriage up or I can tear it apart. With words, I can build up my children's self-esteem or grandchildren now self-esteem or I can tear it down. With words, I can grow my friendships or I can end them. With words, I can point people to God or I can turn them away. We have to be so careful. I love the story that Clint, Ken Blanchard tells. He's a business executive that does training sessions all over America. And Ken Blanchard and Barbara Glanz did some training for grocery store workers at retail outlets across the country. They had about 3,000 people at the seminar talking to cashiers and backers. And they talked about the power of words for a cashier and a bagger and how what you say really does matter to people's lives and it determines that they'll come back to your Publix or Kroger or wherever or go somewhere else. About a month after the seminar, Barbara Glenn's got a call from a guy named Johnny. Johnny was at the seminar with his boss. And Johnny told her early on, I'm 19 years old and I have Down syndrome and I work as a bagger at a grocery store. And he said, I heard your talk and I really wasn't sure what to do and how to apply it. And I went home and talked to my dad. And we came up with an idea. 
Dad and I sat down at the computer and we printed positive statements that we found in books, or sometimes I would make them up. We printed them out and I cut them up and he did 300 of them the first night and he signed every one of them Johnny. And so he goes to work that first day with 300 signed quotes of positivity and when he bags the groceries in the last bag he puts the quote in the sack. Everybody got something. And when he takes them to the car or hands them to the person he says I put something in your bag I hope will brighten up your day. And he does this every single day. So Barbara appreciated what Johnny told her and about a month later Barbara gets another phone call from Johnny's boss, the manager at the grocery store. He said, Barbara, I can't believe it. Something is really amazing is beginning to happen here. I'm walking around the store when I notice that no matter how many lines we have open, everybody's in one line. Backed up to the frozen food, they all want Johnny. He said, I'd get on the intercom and I would tell people, lines two, three, four, and five are open. But they would say, no, we'll wait because we want Johnny's encouraging word for the day. He went on to say, one woman came by and, and said, I used to only come to this store once a week or every other week. And now I come every day and I just buy something because I want to see Johnny and get his note. The store manager went on to say, it's changing our entire culture at the store. Even in the floral department, when a flower was broken, they used to throw it away. And now they'll walk out into the lines on their own initiative and pin flowers onto elderly women or young girls to brighten up their day. And business at the store doubled. It's not that hard, is it? It's not that hard to use our good words. It's up to us. Like David Beasley, I love church. I love the encouragement that I receive because this is a place where we speak words of life to one another. Words that really matter. We get to share words of life and words of love. That's what we need to be known for. That's what you need to be known for and I need to be known for when we leave this place. Blow somebody's mind at work tomorrow and tell them something positive. Tell a neighbor something that you've never told them before. Do some building and watch what happens. Let's pray.